Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on our show today, episode 150. My incredible guests are sharing their expertise, starting with Dr. Shannon Coates. We are continuing our series on debunking the myths of vocal pedagogy. Our topic today, all about warm-ups. Acting and singing coach Phyllis Horridge returns to talk about monologues and the six steps we need to take to really dive into those acting moments. Karen Michaels, our social media expert, is helping us to understand and take advantage of all the new updates in Instagram land. And Dr. Heather Nelson is continuing her conversation about breathing, namely working with people with breathing challenges, pedagogy, acting, social media, and more pedagogy right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, welcome. And thank you. Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. I'm so glad that you are here. It is, if you are listening to time of release, it is about mid-November. And uh, we just had the first little uh, sprinkling of snow. It was kind of a wet, slushy snow this morning. And uh, it's still so beautiful um, here in uh, Nova Scotia, Hemford Forest. And uh, I am trying to embrace the season change, although it's challenging. Uh, I'm not particularly fond of colder weather, but um, it, it truly is a, a, an, an interesting time, um, a reflective time. I hope everything's going well in your teaching studio. Uh, to my friends who are busy getting students ready for winter recitals, holiday recitals, concerts, I hope that everything is going well and that your students are still smiling and laughing in your studio. I just want to thank everybody. Um, We have a global audience and wherever you are listening from, um, I do so appreciate uh, the emails and the comments. And um, I I have to say it, this is episode 150. And I, I look back at all the wonderful people that I've met through doing these interviews. And I also can honestly say that my teaching has been changed and improved and inspired by all of my guests on the podcast over the last few years. And I feel in my teaching studio uh, that I just have this huge community of people that are offering so much wonderful information. And, And I can't thank not only my guests for sharing their expertise, but um, for people who've been supporting our podcast and sharing it. And uh, if you're finding value from it, I am I am so thrilled. And uh, I remember when I first started teaching, uh, one of the challenges was I really didn't have a community of people that supported me. So I just want to shout out, I want to say hi to everybody. I hope everything's going well. And I know you're going to find a lot of value in this uh, 150th podcast episode. Uh, I've got my dear friends. They are returning experts, all of them, and they have some amazing uh, information to share with you that you can use in your studios right away. My first guest is a dear friend. She's been on the podcast 
quite a bit and she will be returning again and again because she's just so passionate about helping us become the best teachers that we can be. And I love her for that. So Dr. Shannon Coates is returning and we are talking about rethinking our vocal pedagogy. We get stuck sometimes in, in, in certain myths and, and, uh, old ways of doing things. So I love that we're, we're challenging uh, ourselves. So without further ado, Dr. Shannon Coates. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast. My friend from Canada and my colleague Shannon Coates. How are you today? I'm terrific. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. I love talking to you. And uh, we always talk for like an hour before we hit record to get caught up. And then we talk about all our feelings about singing. But I love this, this series that we're doing. We are debunking the myths, the biases, the absolutes that have been in our industry for far too long. So we're talking about the voice pedagogy myths. And today, oh, this is going to be a tough one for some people. We're talking about warm-ups that we, you know, you, do you have to warm up your voice? Like, is it like, do you have to like sing for an hour before you sing for another hour? Is that, is that how it works? <laughs> I know, I know, right? Um, this is something that, um, that, that I've been sort of playing with for a while now, actually, and sort of started to throw away, I would say probably pretty soon after I started teaching, where I was like, I, this, I don't think that this is actually a thing. <laughs> that the warm-up is actually a thing. Um, and so I want to I want to kind of um, oh and I feel quite justified because like in the last year or so um, Heidi Moss has talked about you know the inefficiency of warm-up and like why you know <laughs> how it doesn't actually do what we think it does and um, and so you know I feel quite quite justified because really smart people are also kind of on board. Um, and Chris Johnson at the Naked Naked Vocalist, that's what he, that's where it is, right? Yeah. Um, he wrote a, a lovely sort of well thought out little treaties on warm-ups uh, recently, actually, um, that you can probably find on his, on his blog or website. But so, yeah, I feel quite, you know, quite justified here. <laughs> um, because for a long time, so when I was working with singers uh, or with, with voice teachers, or when I had the option for voice teachers to come and observe me teaching, and then we would, uh, you know, discuss it afterwards and sort of have these, invariably, the, those those voice teachers would be like, um, you didn't seem to do warm-ups with your students. And I'd be like, Haha, you noticed, did you? <laughs> I don't do warm-ups with my students. You noticed that, eh? That's interesting. So, um, and the reason, I mean, I think there are a couple of things that this has come out of. One of the things that this has come out of, I think, is that we have this, such a crossover right now uh, between sports physiology and, and the understanding of what we do in sport um, and, and how we're, we're really, you know, we're applying a lot of those principles into voice and, and teaching voice, 
which isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, except that we get these, we get this kind of like understanding of the voice that's a little off in terms of, for example, we think maybe that we're trying to bulk up or strengthen the muscles in the larynx somehow, or we're trying to strengthen the diaphragm somehow or bulk up these muscles somehow, you know, because we, we think about sport as being like, you know, I, I need to, I need to strengthen my muscles. I need to like, you know, and, and, and the muscles that we use for singing are simply not those kinds of muscles. They're just not those muscles, right? We, you can't bulk up the diaphragm. <laughs> you can't like, you, you can't just watch me, any- Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Um, and, and the muscles of the larynx that are, you know, we're not working toward getting stronger muscles. That's not what we're doing when we're taking voice lessons. What we're doing when we're taking voice lessons and when we're working on our singing is we are working toward a more efficient coordination toward a total outcome, right? But those muscles are already working just fine. Like they're not like, you know, they don't need to get stronger necessarily, right? They're not weight-bearing muscles. So we have this, we kind of take unbeknownst right it's not like conscious but we we can kind of just take some of the things that we know about sport and sports physiology and we kind of like apply it into the voice studio and and so we want to kind of consider some of these things and so that's part of it i think part of it too about the absolute around you must warm up um is that coming back to sort of what we were talking about in our uh what we've talked about before in in terms of the way that Western classical singing works, where the specific kinds of coordination that are required for Western classical singing, again, so specific. um, And so like, there's a lot to it um, and, and, and a complex coordination like that's required. So we do need to, in some cases, have a little bit of a sing through sometimes to just make sure that everything's coordinating the way I want it to coordinate right today, um, in, especially in our Western classical and especially some specific kinds of voices will likely need a little bit of a like, you know, a little kind of like, I got to get things coordinated. I just got to like find that coordination for today. Um, but when, once we're past five minutes of quote warm up or finding that coordination, once we're past five minutes, we're no longer warming up. <laughs> the muscles are not, that's not the way our muscles work in the singing voice, right? Like it's just not the way it works. So we actually then start to get into um, uh, something that can actually be mindless is the wrong word, or maybe it's the right word, but it can, it, where where it's not effective anymore. That's where I, like, I say my students are in the room, but they're not in the room. They're just, it's literally autopilot. And then I go on autopilot too. I don't know how many times I've played an arpeggio up and down the the keyboard. And then I stop to think about, oh gosh, where are we now? Like it just turns into this mindless routine that no one's paying attention <laughs> And, uh, and, and part of the, the reason that Heidi Moss talks about this, or at least I've heard Heidi talk about this or seen her write about this, is that once we go into that mindlessness, we're actually just developing deeper and deeper grooves in the learning process, like in our motor skills, right? Like in the brain, we're developing these deeper and deeper grooves into something that may or may not be useful, right? We, we may actually, you know, we're, we're now like just like... <laughs> 
following this little memory pattern that isn't and, and getting it deeper and deeper, especially if we're not mindful about something that isn't with something that may not be useful, right? That may actually be harmful or may not be the most efficient way that we can create this particular sound. So we stop the efficacy of the quote warm up kind of stops after like five minutes, give or take, right? It, it basically stops. And we were saying this earlier, uh, you know, because we like to spend a little bit of time catching up before we actually do the recordings. But um, we were saying this earlier about how, like, if you're working with a 12 year old who's been at school all day, um, do they need a warm up? Heck no, they've been using their voice all day. <laughs> like the muscles are already working. <laughs> Everybody's working and, and we've all been breathing all day. So like if I see you at, you know, five o'clock, you've been breathing all day, your diaphragm's fine, it doesn't need to have a little bit, right? The muscles of inhalation do not need to have a little extra like warm up to get going. You've been breathing. Now, do we need to maybe, again, we might need to have a little kickstart around like an inhalation pattern or something along those lines. Sure, we might need to have a little, you know, kickstart around that. But once we're past five minutes, we're into technical skills now. Like we're into developing technique, right? We're into changing patterns. That's where we're, we want to be into like mindfulness. And so some of this talk about around warm-up is, is a little bit around semantics, right? Like what do I think a warm-up is versus like a technical exercise, you know, it's a little bit around, it's a little bit semantic too. But once we're past that, like, I found my coordination and my voice is working. So yay. Um, once we're past that, we're working in on technical skills. Now we're working on creating efficient coordinations for our, you know, for our required tonal outcome. And that that isn't, that's not the definition of a warm-up anymore, right? <laughs> so we we've moved out of quote warm up land and into technical skills and developing coordination. So um, I, I should say too, there is, there is some research um, that says that folks who do a warm up um, consistently do a warm up will um, are reducing their chances of injury. The research is not like super great Okay. <laughs> overall. So, so you may hear, you know, you may hear folks say, oh, but, you know, like the research shows that you have to warm up in order to not injure yourself, right? In order to reduce the potential for injury, right? That's the research says that. But first of all, much of that research is on athletes, Huge. not voice yes. athletes, right? right. Yeah. Right. So, so that. Again, we're talking about different kinds of muscles and we're talking about different kinds of coordinations. Like this is a different thing. And um, the potential for injury, I mean, there's just in, in the voice, especially there are so many other factors involved in like whether you warm up or not is, is such a low factor in terms of like whether or not you have the potential for injury because the voice is with us all the time and we're using it all the time in so many different ways. There are so many other factors involved in terms of potential for injury. So when you do hear, oh, well, if you don't warm up, you, you're, you're at a greater risk of injury, just keep that in the back of your mind that this isn't actually useful for voices. I often wonder 
what on earth are you doing in a voice lesson that is going to injure one person if they don't sing another 10 minutes of vocal warmups? Like I'm like, I don't, I have no idea what you could possibly be doing. I'm, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to share something. You said this, I'm pretty sure it was you. And maybe it was one of your your reels or Facebook Live or something. You do such great work on social media. And to my listeners, if you're not following Shannon on the socials, you're missing out because she does office hours. She does all these great little pop-up little conversations. I'm pretty sure it was you. And you said, a warm-up is anything that gets the student ready to learn. Ooh, was that you? I may have. I mean, it sounds like something like, I might say. Like, you know, if I'm making my students draw treble clefs with their whole bodies and they're smiling and laughing and they're paying attention to how they're drawing the treble clef, that is a beautiful warm up. They're engaged. Agreed. A warm up. Like that's, I think that's, you know, so many teachers were asking, you know, how do I keep people engaged? If your warm ups are just autopilot exercises that cause everyone to go into zombie land, that's not an effective warm-up because your students aren't engaged. They're not paying attention. They're not active listening. They're certainly not focusing inward or outward. They're literally thinking about what they want to have for dinner when they get out of your lesson. Uh, agreed. Which was my and vocal lessons when I was 12 because my <laughs> vocal lessons were right before dinner and I was always starving and that's all I thought about. That is not a great way to do voice lessons. <laughs> <laughs> not a great way. So, and I, I think that comes back to the whole reason that we're doing this series as well, right? Um, investigate the absolute around how you're supposed to, big quotes, have a warm up and what it's supposed to look like and why you're supposed to have it. Just investigate. And yeah, I agree. A warm up can look like anything that is engaging and getting you ready to, to learn. It isn't, it isn't directly related to the muscles in the larynx or, you know, the, the muscles we use to sing, getting ready to sing. That's not, it's not directly related to that at all. Okay. I love this. I love these conversations. Thank you so much for challenging all of us to reevaluate the whys and the hows in our studios. I know it makes all the difference in the world. And I think it, it really does help us level up as teachers mm -hmm. and really get out of those long-term patterns that maybe aren't effective anymore. I agree. I love mm -hmm. it. Now, next time on the debunking the myths in the voice pedagogy universe, we're going to talk about lazy students. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you so much, Shannon. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Take care. Phyllis Horridge is a talented voice teacher, plus a wonderful actor and acting coach. And she's helping all of us level up our acting skills. And today we're talking about the six steps when working on a monologue. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast. Uh, my friend, my colleague, my acting expert, Phyllis Horridge. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. I love when you come to the show because you have 
wonderful knowledge <laughs> that I do not. And that is helping our students with acting. And today we are diving into the, and you've broken it down into six steps for preparing a monologue. And I think this is going to be helpful for my listeners because so many of us, if we're working on musical theater pieces, we're probably going to have to help our students with monologues. So thank you so much for this. So our student comes in, they have an audition, they have to do a monologue, we have a little in, internal mini panic attack, but then, but then we know the six steps. So, so give us your, your go-to steps for helping our students. Okay, so the first thing that you need to do is identify the given circumstances. These are the absolute facts about this character that you're about to portray two to five different circumstances of like, who are you, where are you, what are you doing, what's happening before the scene, what's happening after the scene, like what are these circumstances that are happening before the monologue starts? Now, you need to know that. I would like to know, do you expect your students to, to research this and how often do they not research this and you have to do an eyeball roll because that's my existence? Eyeball roll every time. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good to know. I'm not alone. Thank you. <laughs> not at all. And we'll spend an entire lesson just working on the, these questions. Okay. And they won't even get to, like, perform the monologue. <laughs> good. I'm. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Because I often get frustrated thinking that I sh they should have done this, but, you know, it's okay that we should probably have to do it in the lesson with them. Okay, thank you for that. Yes. And I'll also add that this information is not only really good for a monologue, but you can use it in a song too. Mm -hmm. So the second thing is, who are you talking to? And I recommend never talking to yourself or the audience. Nine out of 10 times, I'll say, who are you talking to? And they'll be like, well, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, ah, pick another. <laughs> you can be talking to your cat for all I care. You're not talking to yourself. Pick somebody else in the room that you're talking to. And typically... It's not more than one person. Typically, it's just one person. And you'll notice you can do it one way. Like, okay, who, who are you talking to? Don't tell me who you're talking to and have them perform the monologue. And then you'll say, okay, now pick somebody else that you're going to talk to and do it again. Don't tell me who it is. Just do it. And you're going to notice differences in the two performances. And then you can ask, which one did you like better? Nice. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Now, okay, here's my, here's my question. Do you ask them to choose somebody else and nothing changes? And you're like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, that does sometimes happen. <laughs> and then I'll just, I'll go, okay, now pick somebody else. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, good tip. And good sometimes tip. I have to give them ideas. Like I said, sometimes I'll say, um, could you do this to your, your, your cat? Like, just do the monologue to your cat. And it changes the way they perform it. And I'm like, uh-huh, okay. See what happened there? So then the third thing that you want to do is figure out what your objective is. And objective is, is a big thing because that's where we start using the verbs. Um, so the sentence I use is, I want to fill in the blank with a verb and a person so that they will fill in the blank, what you want them to change or do in that moment. 
Oh, that's helpful. Now, are you having them write all of this down on their yes. monologue? Okay. Yes. And you can, the objectives and circumstances can change throughout the monologue. So it may not just be the beginning of the monologue. So if it, the circumstances can change every couple of sentences. So you, anytime it changes, you jot that down. So I literally when I'm working on a script or a monologue, I mean, I like to, if I have time, I like to retype the whole thing out. Oh, wow. Okay. And leave, leave spaces on each side. Oh, okay. Like big margins. Mm-hmm, like really big margins and spaces in between each of the lines too. So they can write things in there. So if you have time to type the whole thing out, if it's not like a hundred page script or something, it's just a monologue. You can type the whole thing out and space it out accordingly and leave space on each side above, below, and on each side so that you can write all this stuff in. That's a helpful tip. If somebody is preparing a, a, or is handing out a monologue, you might want to do that in advance for them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great tip. So then the fourth thing I love, it's your obstacle. What stands in the way of you achieving this objective? So whatever your objective is, there's always an obstacle that gets in the way. What is that obstacle? It's important to know that because then step five is the tactics. How will you achieve your objective? If you have this obstacle in the way, how are you going to achieve it? And then the final step is the stakes. What will happen if your character doesn't achieve the objective? So it doesn't always get resolved. When you're working with your students, um, and you're and you're taking them through these steps, which are so helpful. I mean, they really just bring up so many questions and ideas and thoughts and feelings. If you have a student that's really struggling, like like you know, you you'll ask your student, so what is da 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 da, and they're like, I don't know. Like especially with our teenagers, and I and I appreciate that you know they haven't had the life experiences that that an older person has, but sometimes it's really challenging to you you I constantly feel sometimes that I just gotta like pull and pull and pull I'm not alone right right oh you are a hundred percent not alone uh no not at all and and sometimes as a teacher I have light bulb moments too so we'll be working on a song or a monologue I'll be asking these questions to them and then I'll bring something up and I'm like oh that was brilliant brilliant yes that's what I meant to say and now you're bringing out this thing and it's great stuff that you're doing. I, it just, sometimes I'll uh, give them a circumstance. I'll be like, so what if this was happening to, to you? And can you relate? Like, oh, you know, last week you broke up with your boyfriend. <laughs> sure. Did this character just break up with their boyfriend or their best friend broke up with them or whatever it is? Can you bring in that real life circumstance and see how that changes the feel of the piece. Right. Right. Well, that I find that's, I think that's one of my biggest challenges is that, you know, for, for young singers. Um, and I, I mean, I, I always ask all of my students, I, I tell all of my students, whether they're doing a musical theater or a monologue or like, I think that every performance singing is acting. You know, I always tell them, like, you are the storyteller. What can you bring into this that is just more than the, I always tease my students, like, more than the furrowed, sad, 
pop singer face? <laughs> like, can we yes. go, can we go beyond the sad face? And, and I try to, I try to, you know, talk about storytelling and, and, and thinking about different things. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting. There's a, there's a vulnerability there, right? There's a comfort zone that for some people you're kind of moving into. When you see students that maybe are feeling a little uncomfortable, how do you, how do you help them? That is, that's an interesting question. I think we, we take a moment and we do shakedown exercise, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We shake it all out. I have them either like do jumping jacks, jump up and down, run around the room, something that just kind of gets them laughing. Like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. So that they're like, and I'm like, now do your monologue. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great tip. Cause then they're not thinking about it. what happens is they start overthinking because you're giving them all this information and they're like, ah, it's so much. So if you just get them to stop thinking for a second, all of a sudden it brings something else out of them. It's like, now how did that feel? And they're like, oh, that was good. I'm like, I know. Cause you weren't even trying. You just did it. Mm. I have a couple of the other, uh, specific questions. Just, um, how, when you, um, are working on a monologue, how soon do you expect it memorized? What, what kind of, what kind of guidelines do you give your students? Usually the, my students come once a week or sometimes they'll come twice a week, or if they're doing audition prep, they may come three times a week. Uh, so typically we'll have one session with the script and then they have to do their homework and write things in and have it memorized by the second session. Excellent. And I'm curious what happens if they don't have it memorized? <laughs> Just go, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> you, you say, how much do you really want this? Phil, okay, people can't see this because it's a podcast, but Phyllis just did the stern waving of the finger, which I think <laughs> that is, uh, that's all you can do nowadays. <laughs> I'm, this is so helpful. So, so let's just go through the stick, the six steps again. So let's just do a quick review. Yeah. Identify the circumstances, figure out who you're talking to, what's your objective, what's your obstacle, what are your tactics to achieve this objective, and what are the stakes, especially if you can't achieve this objective? That's great. Oh, wonderful steps to helping our students uh, prepare and really come to life in their in their monologues. Thank you so much for teachers that are dealing with audition season. This is going to be so helpful, and for teachers like me who don't have a background in acting. Again, I love these I love these conversations, and they're so very helpful. Phyllis, you are my acting coach expert. I want to thank you so much, um, and you will be back on the podcast this season with even more wonderful strategies for helping our students with acting. Thank you so very much. You're so very welcome. I can't wait. All right. Have a great afternoon. You too. If you are using Instagram in your business socials, you do not want to miss this segment. And if you're thinking that, oh no, there's more updates. Well, yes, it's true. That is what is happening. But Fear not, my friends. 
Karen Michaels is here to set us all straight, let us know what's going on so that we can leverage social media platforms for our teaching students. Welcome to the podcast, my friend, my colleague, my social media expert, Karen (laughs) Michael Michaels. That's what we call you. Okay. (laughs) Karen Michaels, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so good. It's the it's like the w- week before Thanksgiving, right? So for oh the goodness. United States. So I'm busy and great. Oh yes, <laughs> that that the Thanksgiving and it's also Black Friday, isn't it? Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Oh my gosh. Oh, too much going on. Uh, I, mean, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on uh, because this is kind of like I'm doing. I'm doing air quotes here. This is kind of like yes. an emergency interview <laughs> <laughs> yes. because there's all these changes to Instagram. Yes, and, we're having an Instagram intervention. Oh my goodness. And I want to thank you because um, for my listeners, like Karen, what what time is it out there right now? It's five after six a.m. Okay, so Karen gets up <laughs> at god-awful hours so that she can do podcast recordings. And we literally are on the complete opposite sides of this continent. So you're... I mean- totally opposite it's super fun though how fun is that it is and i do appreciate it um there are a lot of changes with instagram and i know so Mm. many teachers so many private studios and multi-teacher studios are using instagram as like their social media platform they advertise and they promote Mm. all of their going ons so we need to uh we need to keep up with all the changes Yes. And uh, I, whenever I usually see something comes in my feed, I'm like, oh, I better ask Karen about that. <laughs> like, what is that? What is that? <clears throat> so uh, what's going on? What do people need to know if they are Instagram users? Well, uh, what is so thrilling is that there has never been a better time to be an Instagram user because they're going all in. And clearly they want 2022 to be like a sparkly year for them. So and it's such a great platform for voice teachers. Right. It's so good because, for example, one of the things that they've added is called Add Yours. So Add Yours is a sticker. And what you yes. And what you can do is you want to start your story. And um, so you just tap create. And when you tap create, um, just a colored screen will show up. Mine always shows up pink because, you know, pink. Um, (laughs) And then you tap the the sticker at the top, which is like where all the GIFs are and the, the emojis and so forth. And then you'll find the add yours. And what this does is it allows you, it allows other people to add their photo to your story. Whoa! I know it's so good and it's so good what I think for voice teachers in so many ways but the example that I've been thinking about is if you're having a recital it's your winter recital or a get-together or um you know any kind of thing like that you you could you you tap the add yours you're going to put the prompt in you know winter recital and then um and then um, you add, it'll auto populate, it'll add itself and it'll prompt the viewer to add their photo in. So now you have this beautiful array of other people's photos in your story. 
Oh, wow. That could, I love that idea for recitals or performances or master classes. Yes, master classes. <gasps> what did you learn? And then each person could either they could um you can put in anything, right? And you can you can type it as a theme. You can choose from there's questions, there's topics. It's it's a really fun way to improve your engagement, which of course is um a, a high uh, one something that is important for the algorithm of Instagram. So I love this add your sticker and it, they kind of snuck that one in. Now I have a question about add. Okay. What if somebody yes. puts up something that you don't want? <gasps> That's such a good question. I have a feeling that you can delete it because we all have, with the exception of, the, of course they can, you know, they have supreme authority over the accounts because we don't own our accounts as I always talk about, right? They own the accounts. But um, I I have a feeling that you would be able to delete something inappropriate. Okay, good, good, good. I definitely have a feeling. And um, another great thing that they've added that they barely talked about, which I think is super important, is practice going live. If you, I know, if you tap the live, now you tap the little, um, the little cross at the top right hand side. I'm I'm like picturing the screen in my head. You tap the little um, plus button to um, to begin either a post or a live or whatever it is, your, whatever action you're taking. And when you tap live, it says practice mode. <gasps> so it's, you can check you can check your yeah. hair and your makeup and your lighting and your oh my gosh all the things and get this you can if you're going live with somebody they can practice with you if they're like i don't know what to do and and it's so scary and i've never done it it's okay i'm going to walk you through it you two are the only or two you know you two or three are the only ones who will see it and then um i believe it'll at the end it'll either say do you want to save as a post or delete and so it's it's wonderful to be able to practice nice i like that absolutely wonderful yes yes um another cool thing that's semi unrelated to instagram but if you're a twitter user you can so you go to the three buttons on your post and you tap that and that's where you can do your edits and things well in those three buttons there's a thing called copy link so you can copy the link to your post you can go over to your Twitter and you can add the URL of that mm-hmm. link. And then once you and then you do want to do a few words like um, this is this is the best thing I've done this week, whatever, something cool. And then you tweet that and it will it won't show up as a URL. It'll show up as a preview with a photo of the post. Oh, how brilliant. So your post in Instagram is going to be viewable on Twitter. Yes. And it, it it's a preview. So it's not like this. It, obviously, those are different platforms. Sure. But what is great is that is a fantastic way to repurpose your content. You don't have to write something new if you're a Twitter user um, or if you're obviously what's more important is if your clients potentially are Twitter users and you want to use Twitter, but it's not your first and foremost platform. This would be a great way to auto populate your tweets. Oh, so good. So helpful. Isn't that good? Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the next one I want to talk about? Oh, collab. So collab. It's just, I love when they make up words or they use parts of words and then it becomes the word like collab. So what is collabing? Well, collaboration, obviously we understand is 
is when more than one of us is working on a project. And so what Collab does is it allows you to invite another person to create a post or a reel with you. Ooh. Okay. So I have a question, like a, mm-hmm. like a action question. So let's say someone who looks maybe similar to me is currently writing a little freebie song with her with her partner Mim, who happens to be in Costa Rica right now. Oh, and, lucky! I know, right? Um, but we were we want to do like a little video of the song. Hello, together. that's perfect. So we use the collab button. Use the collab. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And so that. yes, because now you'll you know you'll collaborate on the post and get this, it'll show up in her feed, and it'll show up in your feed the same. Okay. Now, so, is it only with two people or can I get... It's only two people mm. right now. Okay. And I'm looking at the details. Yeah. Um, like this, just the, the final confirmation was October 19th. And so, um, it, you know, and as always, friends, if you don't have one of these things I'm talking about, mm. number one, I would recommend just do an app refresh and make sure that you're up to date So, and sometimes it doesn't even show that you need to update. You need to go into your app store or Google play, tap the, um, tap the platform that you want to check on the update and then go over to it and then tap, even if it says open and not update, tap that because sometimes that'll force an update. Oh, okay. I'm really glad you mentioned that because like for the longest time, my Instagram didn't have the link. Oh yes. Captions. Remember, I was like, I don't have captions. I have captions now, but I didn't have captions for the longest time. You know, and and we just have to remember that these things don't roll out. And I'm so excited to talk about Link. That's what I'm talking about next to make sure everyone knows it's so important. Um, But these, they're literally rolling out. Let's think of it this way, friends. If you are, you know, you're a voice teacher and you're implementing a new process Every student doesn't get it at the same time, (laughs) right? And if they do get it, if you do like a studio rollout of something, people don't understand, people have questions, people miss the memo, just, you know, people, humans, you know, so it takes time. This is why we have you come on and do all these updates because like I forever miss memos when it comes to app updates. And I am always like this, you can do what? I know. And I mean, it's interesting. I really feel excited for Instagram and the potential and the possibilities next year because, and and now obviously now, but they're obviously gearing up for this big thing Um, because, you know, they're they're competing. They're a business friends. They're competing, competing, if you will, with the other big platform, which is the platform of the year, which is, as we all know, TikTok. They are competing for those eyeballs. And so what the one of the big important things that I do want to share with you is all these things I'm talking about, use them. Because when you use a platform's new gadget, if you will, they reward you and they reward you well. So you will be put in the algorithm. You will be shared well. Um, in fact, one thing that I should talk about before I get to the two biggest w- announcements and for my money is the hashtag controversy. <gasps> Yes, I was going to ask you about that. 
It is. I just, so last night as I was doing my final research to make sure I, I had as much up to date information for you as possible. Um, I see that there are people, and and what and what and by people I mean like big creators with thousands to hundreds of thousands of followers saying that they are not following the um, advice given by Adam Mosseri, who is the the head of Instagram's marketing department, and that he he's the CEO, if you will. And Adam said um, to use three to five hashtags right, and so, not put them in your first comment. He said that. Okay, because I was like, because remember, we talked about these hashtags a while ago. We did a whole segment on it, and originally Instagram was like 30 hashtags. Yep. So guess what? So last night I'm looking around and I'm seeing these big creators and, you know, you can look around, you can see them yourself. And they're saying that they are not following that directive. Oh. And they are doing 15 to 30 hashtags and they are putting them in the first comment. Just to stick it to Instagram? <laughs> like what's the, what's the thinking no, behind because, that? <laughs> no, because they didn't. One of these larger accounts said they literally, they missed the memo. They literally missed the memo and they weren't doing it. And she, and she basically said, um, our insights are never better. So that's data that it's working, right? Because even when you have thousands and thousands of followers, that doesn't mean that you're going to have gorgeous green insights every single time. You have to keep, you know, they want you to keep creating content um, for the platform to keep people there. So here's what I think in terms of hashtags. I'm going to continue to do what they say to do because, and I'm going to do that for my clients in all transparency, because I believe that even if it's, ha if, if the new way of doing things with hashtags isn't working yet, it's going to, that's where they're moving their algorithm to. That's number one. Number two is absolutely do your own data. Yeah. Look at your insights. Take note if you put your hashtags in the caption, if you put your hashtags in the first comment, if you use hashtags, which is my favorite way to use hashtags is to have them in the sentence and then put other, you know, put the other, the main, like your, your business name and so forth at the, at the bottom. That's the way I like to do it when it's in a perfect world, it doesn't always work that way, but that's what I like. Um, take, you need to do a little bit of recon as my son would say, and, and figure out what's going on best for your account. But I have to admit my personal opinion. And so we will see is that when a platform tells you to do something, even if it's not working perfectly yet, it's because they're going to make it so that it works perfectly eventually. Well, does would, that make sense? It does make sense. And I would also say that, you know, the average music teacher does not have hundreds of thousands of followers on their Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, maybe there's a few, but most right, Cheryl of us, Porter, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And then, right. but I mean, most of us are, are like really uh, niche right? Like we're, we're niche down and, and really we don't, I don't think we have the clout to, to demand, you know, changes from a huge platform. So I'm a rule, I abide by the rules. So I'm not looking to shake up anybody's, you know. So. Yes, I'm a rule follower too. Right. And, but listen, by the way, 
So this next, the next two things that I'm going to talk about were brought about by smaller accounts. Mm, cool. So never underestimate the value of your few hundred, few thousand followers. Nice. They're important because if you think about it, those add up. They do. Yeah. They really add up across the whole, uh, the totality of the platform. So, and I'm sure everyone is aware of this. If you're not aware of it, don't feel bad. It's okay. <clears throat> it's my job to be aware of it for you. And that is the link in stories. So, uh, thank you so much. This is one of those things that was a little hierarchy-ish, if you will, that, you know, only platforms with 10,000 or more can have a link. And it's like, really? We're doing business. We're doing all the things you want. We're there on the platform. Um, you should participate back. And you know what? They did. I was very lucky to participate in their big survey. You had to be invited. I think they invited like 25,000 or I, I don't remember the number, but I was invited to participate. It was super fun. And it was just a survey. And basically what happened is I believe what I'm hearing from, well, the CEO and others is that everyone asked for the link. And so, and because the, obviously friends, the reason this is important is because now when you tap, you put the link sticker in your story only, this is not for post copy. Right. This so is just for in stories. Mm -hmm, just in stories. Um, you tap the link sticker, you can put an offsite link. So in other words, a link to your website, a link to your product, a link to your Pinterest, a link to your, to anywhere. Yeah. We've they been are doing, allowing uh, We've been doing like, you know, we've been posting about our winter songs and then yes. we've put the link in there so that if you wanted to go check it out, you can go right to the website, to the song page. It's so good. Yeah. It's been really handy. It's been so handy. And, and not only has it been handy, but our, you know, you tell me because you look at it more, but our stats are really up in stories because people realize that when they look at your stories, Nikki, they can, because when people are obviously, when they're looking at your account, they're looking for help with lesson plans and help with things, mm -hmm. with teaching resources and tools. Obviously, this is the whole reason for your incredible account. And so now all they have to do is look at a story, tap, and that beautiful snowflake song just it just pops right up, right? Um, it, it's been incredible. And, you know, Pinterest has been doing that, allowing offsite links forever. And they're a huge platform and it never hurt them. And my thought is that Instagram was like, if we want to continue to ask people to do business with us, if you will, because of course you're doing business with them at being a, um, a user of the platform. Um, this is a really important it's a really important use of the platform, which is to share someone's service or product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And speaking of important, and this is when I really know, okay, <laughs> this is the trend. And, and I say that word, I don't mean to lighten the importance of our mental health because mental health is not a trend. Mm -hmm. It's an important aspect of human life, right? Instagram is now adding something called take a break. Oh, and I believe all the platforms are going to be doing something like this mm -hmm. um, and and take a break. It, we, you Once you tap it and set it up, it will enable you to um, use it sets up a 10, 20 or 30 minute period and it won't let you back in. Oh, wow. 
interesting. Isn't that interesting? And listen, you know, for for so long, and, and there's many an episode where I've told people, unfortunately, you have to post a lot in order to get big growth in your platform. And I'm very happy to report, friends, that that trend is changing. Oh, good. It's changing. And that means we can, repurposing has never been more important, number one. That means that if you're a two-time-a-week post person, Mm -hmm. that is just fine. Your account is not going to be punished. Now, if you post more, of course they will reward you, sure. But it doesn't mean you're going to be a non-engaged platform because you're posting less. Nice. I'm so glad because I know that that comes up a lot, you know, with, with teachers, you know, it's like all the things I have to manage and now I've got to create all this content. And I, and I felt that too. I've been like, you know, I just, you know, I'm teaching, we're running a publishing company and now I'm like, Oh, now I got to do a video and have a shower and wash my hair and look nice on camera. (laughs) Who has time for that? But, uh, uh, I, I, I think that's great. And one of the things that I know, uh, like TikTok, oh my gosh, like I can get both my husband and I got sucked into TikTok. He showed me this one funny little TikTok. And then like an hour later, we're sitting together on the couch, like going, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is the worst. (laughs) Our productivity is crap. Right. (laughs) But it's so, you just don't know. You're just totally sucked in. And that's what, that's what they want. But I love that they're doing that. Yes. And I, I definitely think it's, and short form video, I just have to give a little, a little tip in it and a hint. Short form video is the way of the future. And, you know, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, maximum five minutes. Um, Those are the way of the future because we are all busy and we want to spend less time on the platforms. And yet we still want to get our messages out there. So just for any users and remember, you don't always have to be in the video. (laughs) <laughs> mm, I'm so glad about that. Cause... Yes. Okay. So the last update that I think is going to make everyone the happiest is <laughs> desktop access. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. Karen told me about that and it was like, happy, happy day. <laughs> like, right. Like you can now publish onto Instagram from your desktop. I love that so yep. much. It's, it's really helpful. And remember, it's not going to be every single thing. You can't do reels from your right. desktop. You, you can't 100% do stories. Have. And you can't do stories. I think stories are, I think they're coming. Okay. I think because you can do like a miniature story in the, in, um, business suite right. and in right. Facebook creator. Um, but they're not like, they don't have all the, the doodads and the shenanigans and fun things that you can add. And that's the, you know, I hope they don't add reels to the desktop because, that, that it diminishes the point for yeah. my humble opinion because all those extra fun things that are on a mobile device that's the point of it see but- i really i really like that i just want to say it cuz i will create i create a lot of our graphics and stuff in canva Yes, but oh, then I have the to like platform. email it to myself and put it on my phone cuz i don't do canva on my phone but i know i should but it's too small it's too small. I need a bigger screen. You and know, they ha- Canva had a really good update. You should look at it now on oh, your phone. Man, 
Okay. Do I have to have you come back for another? <laughs> okay. We'll talk. We'll talk about Canva. We should talk about Canva. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about Canva next time for sure. Okay. Okay. Sounds fine. All sounds right. Fine. I'm so glad with the desktop publishing though, like being able to just so like, good. you know, especially if I'm working on something and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And then I can just immediately drop it in because sometimes it's like the whole getting the phone or. Absolutely. For me, it's often a productivity thing. If I have my phone beside me when I'm working on, say, a song or a layout or business-related things, it's a distraction. So I will either turn it off or leave it in the other room so I can get some work done. So this way, I can, I just, yeah, I was so glad when you told me that. I love it. And and here's a great thing to think about your productivity. Um, as I'm working on, um, I'm making a planner, by the way, for social media. And it's all about streamlining your process and making it simple. I'm literally going to tell people, I'm literally going to say, post this today uh, on this. And, and so, but part of the productivity thing is all of your desktop access, that's when you want to do all your scheduled posts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are the posts that are not impromptu, right? Mm -hmm. That you know, when you're like, wow, I just had a great lesson and here's what we learned and you take a picture with your student or whatever. These are posts with graphics, maybe some video shorts or things like that. That's what's so great about this is that you can schedule, you could schedule up to a month. I think past a month is not a good idea. That's just my personal and professional opinion. But you could schedule up to a month of posts on to, and you, of course you can use Business Suite you can use Facebook Creator Studio, and now you can literally just go in the app and schedule your posts and be done. And then you can do all the fun reels, short videos, whatever, selfies on your phone. And now, look, if you did that, if you, if you scheduled one or two a week, there's four to eight. And then if you did two to three more, that's like, what is that, 11, upwards of 11 posts. That is a lot. That would be incredible. And that kind of thing, if you have a good system in place, will only take you like maximum, friends, I'm telling you, 30 to 45 minutes. Nice. Nice. That's reassuring. And for isn't it? For those of you who are feeling overwhelmed, like I'm right there with you sometimes. It's just, you know, one more thing. But I like I like hearing things like this. Thank you, Karen. Yay. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Now we will have you back obviously because things change all the time and also we did just we just did talk a little bit about canva and we should probably follow up with some canva stuff but, oh canva's but, going crazy it's so fun okay but i will we'll do that we'll do that in an in a, a future episode Yes. Uh, I want to thank you for all your time and your your dedication and helping teachers with their social media platforms. Thank you so much. I heard a rumor that you're presenting at the Nats 2022 <gasps> convention. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit? <laughs> oh my gosh. As you could tell, um, I couldn't have a bigger smile. I am so, I, I literally, I started to cry. Um, I am so over the moon about this. I'll be presenting, um, yes, at the conference in July. And um, I'm going to be presenting about social media, of course, and um, for independent voice studios and best practices, how to reboot, how to start, how to reboot, how to, if you're an advanced user, I'll be talking about some of the great advanced things. And I will have a lovely co-host, um, Morgan James, um, who is a beautiful singer. Um, please check her out. She is such a talented young lady. Um, 
she'll be talking about social media and platforms from the artist side. So we're covering, you know, the independent voice teacher and then essentially what that student, the student of the voice teacher and how they can get onto platforms and how they can share their work. I mean, she did such a fantastic job during pandemic. So yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about. It's going to be so much fun. We're a, we're a pre-conference workshop. So I can't wait to see Everybody, you and I are going to have so much fun. I am looking forward to it. Yes, I've, uh, I'm, I'm honored. Um, I'm going to be presenting with Dana Lentini and Dr. Geneva Williams. We're talking about my favorite thing, which is working with children in the Love voice it. studio. So that is also a premium a pre-conference workshop. Workshop. So, mm-hmm. so we'll have to, uh, we'll have to like get together and hang out before that and have oh yeah oh i think there'll be lots of hanging out and other known shenanigans mm. <laughs> okay karen i can't thank you enough thank you so much for this emergency update Woo! and i know that my listeners do appreciate it because i i know my listeners are out there on on instagram a lot i am wishing you a fabulous day and i'll talk to you soon thank you and ba- right back to you friend Our good friend, Dr. Heather Nelson, is returning to the podcast. A few episodes ago, Heather was talking about breathing and our breathing pedagogy, really challenging us to think outside of what we may have been taught about breathing. But today we're talking about breathing challenges. How do we help our students that may struggle for many different reasons with breathing in their voice lessons. Welcome back to the podcast, my wonderful friend and colleague and voice expert extraordinaire. I enjoy every moment I get to speak with you because you are a (laughs) fabulous resource. I truly have taken so many um, strategies and mindfulness and a a greater understanding of of certain, um, whether it's anatomy or approaches through your interviews with my podcast. I know my listeners appreciate you too. But today we have a really important topic. We're talking about breathing challenges. So we had mm-hmm. a we had a wonderful conversation um, uh, a, a few podcasts back about breathing and about breathing philosophies and where we get our our opinions and our and our beliefs about how breathing should or should not be done. But today we're kind of getting into more more specific problems and how we can help our singers. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think this is going to be actually a pretty pertinent topic for a lot of singing teachers because um, I, we're all sick of talking about it, but COVID is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, COVID is a respiratory illness. And um, we are um, learning more and more and um, getting getting an idea that the after effects of COVID are going to be serious and real for some people. And so we are likely to um, have teachers in your audience that are going to have either kiddos or adult students that are still dealing with some of the after effects of COVID. And so it's, it's important to, to recognize that and, and talk about that amongst other things, you know, regular asthma and respiratory illnesses and, Mm -hmm. and um, body differences that can affect breathing too. Oh, well, I want to, I want to thank you um, for for mentioning that. And I do want to just put in there, um, 
this could, I'm going to put a trigger warning in this, this could be, if you're not ready to dive into this information, cause we are going to be talking about some of the side effects to, from uh-huh. COVID. So if you are a teacher and you are feeling that you're just not ready to have these conversations come back when you are. And I just want to put that out there. Cause I know that this has been a really stressful time for a lot of people. And, um, respectfully, if, you're just not ready to uh-huh. to learn more right at this moment, by all means. Right. And al- along with that, if you are not ready to, like, tackle that in your studio, mm. you know, now is a great time to start building relationships with colleagues who may be able to pick, oh. pick up some of that slack for you. That there, is there are folks out there who can, who can help you. Oh, I love that. And, and I, and you would be one of those people. Um, mm-hmm. and I know, I know that, um, uh, locally when I was in Hamilton, um, in my teaching studio, I had several, uh, speech language pathologists that I had connected with and that I had introduced myself to. And actually we referred students back and forth. So that's a really great reminder for those of us who are not healthcare professionals, um, that, things that are out of our scope, there is nothing wrong with referring out or consulting or like that would be the, the professional thing to do. Right. And I think if that were, if, if I were to say the main takeaway from our segment today, I think that would be it, that it takes a village sure. to really teach some of these clients. And so being able to know when to refer out and developing those relationships now before you need them can be super helpful because if you've got, um, and I want to be clear too, I am not an SLP. Um, and so, you know, I have, I have trained alongside SLPs and I've been trained by a laryngologist to do my work. Um, but I just, I want to be clear about that, that, you know, I have my wheelhouse and I, you know, and other people have their wheelhouses, but we work together. <laughs> and so um, I know when I need to refer to clients too, uh, or refer clients out as well. And so um, I, I already have several SLP um, colleagues, you know, ar- actually around North America that, um, that I can refer people to. And, um, and having those relationships built now helps my clients to get in front of them faster. <laughs> a lot of times it greases the wheels. Breathing challenges um, can can be all kinds of different things. Um, you may have a client who has some sort of a physical disability. I have a, a singing colleague friend who has cerebral palsy. And part of that is that um, she has a pretty severe scoliosis associated with that. And so her breathing has to be adapted to, to fit her body. Um, she and I have actually talked several times, um, about, uh, her singing journey because she's a professional choral singer and, um, she's had issues in both (laughs) voice studios where teachers just did not understand how her body worked and tried to mold her into a particular breathing pedagogy that just did not work for her body. And she's also had auditions, um, in front of directors who didn't understand, you know, how her body worked, um, very well. And so, um, actually like kind of docked her (laughs) for her breathing, you know, because her body was shaped differently. And so we definitely don't want to, to, um, to hinder our clients who may have physical, 
differences in their bodies um, by trying to fit them into a breathing mold that doesn't work for them. And so being able to adapt to a person's body, um, and that can be things like asking questions. You know, obviously, if they have something that's pretty obvious, if they're in a wheelchair or use adaptive um, um, mobility devices or, um, or, you know, you can see that their body is a different shape, you know, certainly you can ask questions about how do, how do things feel, um, you know, um, where, where are places of tension, where, where is it, where does it feel released, you know, all of those kinds of things. Don't only, I, I think we, we don't only want to ask the, the negative questions. I think we also want to point clients to where, where things feel free and, um, and, um, and open. We also may have uh, clients, uh, I, I'm thinking of, of older students, um, but it could be with younger students too, who fatigue easily. And we need to teach them how to breathe well. Um, we need to give them the tools that they can breathe well, whether they're sitting or standing, or um, uh, you know, if they're in a, um, in a wheelchair or on a stool or whatever, all of those different postures change the way the body breathes just a little bit. You know, we, we talk about sitting tall in a chair, like, you know, standing from the waist up, you know, but sometimes a body just gets tired, you know, and they, you, you just got to empower them to be able to breathe however they need to in whatever way that they're going to be. I mean, certainly we can, we, if you go to say a jazz show, you know, if, and if there's a singer singing at the piano, they are not going to be singing with perfect posture <laughs> as they're, you know, they're playing over the piano. And so, um, teaching them how to listen and, and, um, sing in the bodies that they have at whatever moment that they have, um, can be much more empowering than trying to get them to do it the quote unquote correct way. Like we talked about last time. <laughs> I, uh, I want to bring up the topic of church pews. Like oh, they yeah. are the worst to sit on, the to worst. sing on. Like you literally, your hip, your, your pelvic gets pulled back, you know, and if you sit on the edge of it, like I, you're supposed, I'm doing air quotes, like you're supposed to, <laughs> it hurts your derriere. Uh -huh. And, and I mean, it takes such effort just to hold yourself upright in those awful pews that it's just the worst place. But majority of Choral rehearsals are from in churches are sitting in church pews, mm -hmm. and you know most of your church choirs are going to be older individuals who may have, you know, hip issues or knee issues, and they may have brand new hips or brand new knees. You know, um, not to mention um, holding folders or holding hymnals with shoulders that could ache and. Um, you know, particularly at the end of the day, uh, where most rehearsals like that happen, you know, and bodies are tired, heck, you know, I'm standing in front of them trying to direct them and I'm tired, <laughs> you know, and so, um, um, you know, and people tend to tense up when they're in pain. And um, that's just, that's just a part of our our, our natural reaction to pain is that we, we tend to brace against it, you know, by tensing up and that can sometimes exacerbate the problem. But if we are um, teaching our, our students or inviting them to just be aware of what their bodies need at any given moment. So if you need to stand, fine. If you need to sit, fine. If you need to lay down, I would not recommend it at my house because you're going to have a dog in your face. But, 
sure you can. Um, you know, that so might that be the th- therapy that they need, you know, that I mean, might, that might get the pretty deep, great. That might get a nice relaxed breath out of someone with, you know, getting dog kisses on the floor. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Just as an aside, like my old doggo has been one of the best teaching tools ever. <laughs> you know, when I was having clients in my house, he always, he put people at ease so fast, faster than I could ever. And I'm a delightful person, <laughs> but my dog was definitely the, um, the gateway to relaxing people a lot faster than I could have ever done without him. <laughs> but, um, but you know, yeah, being able to work with people's bodies, um, their bodies are not wrong. You know, if, if a person has asthma or if they have allergies or um, if you have an older client that has emphysema or COPD, their bodies are not wrong. And so we, we run into trouble if we try to um, teach them how to breathe or, or lead them to breathe in such a way that we're trying to make them, their bodies, some, uh, some sort of ideal that it just is, is not possible for them anymore or um, is not poss- possible for them the way that they were born into their bodies. Their ideal body is that the one they're living in right now. You know, of course, there are things about my body that I wish were different, but wishing that different, you know, wishing that to be different is not going to make me breathe better. <laughs> you know, if I need to learn how to breathe with the body that I have on the day that I'm, you know, that I'm working. And today, um, just as an example, for whatever reason, my body reacts to humidity. (laughs) And so I get a little more froggy when it's very, very humid outside. And I can either wish that that humidity weren't there or I can adapt. And so I try to adapt um, and give my students as many tools as they can so they can choose and pull from those tools at any given moment. I I really like what you said there. And I would like to just mention that, you know, I bet you there's a lot of teachers out there that never had spaces held for them like that, where they were given strategies that actually worked for them. And I hope that, uh, and, I, and I would say that I, you know, a lot of the instruction that I was given at a younger age, really, I didn't, one, I didn't grasp it. And two, it might not have been the best information for me, for my growing body, for, you know, like, again, I've done tons of performances sitting at a piano and singing and, you know, and it's so for anybody out there that's feeling that maybe it's time to maybe reevaluate their pedagogy uh, or their philosophy. So we did do that. The, the, our previous conversation about breathing, if you didn't check that out, um, Heather did a wonderful job about, you know, um, how you were taught and, and, and also what you know, and, and there's like this overlap of what a philosophy looks like. But I love that the conversation is now teaching the student that is standing in front of us and honoring them and empowering them. Uh-huh. Now, I, I do think we, we need to know when it's time to refer to someone else. Okay. Like if we've got a, if we've got a student that just is struggling with, um, with a, a good inhale of breath, maybe we need to refer them to an SLP to work on some of those types of things. Um, and that is absolutely fine. It's great to know our limits because we're excellent at a lot of things, but we don't have to know everything and we don't have to do everything. But one of the things that I, I would really encourage teachers to do is to explore their own bodies in this way, too. Like, 
Okay, breathe while you're standing. Now sit down. Now lean over. You know, lean to one side. Lay on the floor. Um, lean up against the wall. Um, how do you have to change your breathing if you're in a mask versus not a mask? You know, and explore what your body feels like. You know, where where does it feel like it's it's bracing? Where does it feel like it's releasing? And getting to know your own body that way that gives us too, I think, a better idea of. Okay, if we've got a client that's coming in that's really, you know, struggling with, um, you know, that maybe has a scoliosis, we can't feel exactly what that feels like. But if we have already experimented and explored with, you know, sitting in a chair, leaning over to one side and breathing and feeling where those muscles um, grab and release, we might have a little better idea of things that we can say to to encourage them to then explore their own bodies and um and do that. We're not ever going to, you know, if we're in a choir or we're singing at a piano, no one ever taught me how to breathe for singing at a piano. I had to figure that out on my own, <laughs> you know, but if we're, if we're doing that ahead of time, if we're, we're doing that kind of exploration, I think it can be very, very useful for when we do have those breathing challenges, um, come up, we we've, um, we've explored some different things already. And we've, we've got some, maybe some verbiage or some, at least some physical memory of what that felt like in our own bodies that we can um, kind of collaborate with our clients with. I love that. That's a great strategy. And, uh, and it's forever changing too, right? Like how we experience breath in our body is never, never, it, like every day I feel my breathing is different. And I, and I agree with you. Like it's been, uh, it, it gets very uh, humid here. Uh, in Nova Scotia, we get a lot of rain and it's definitely heavier on those days to take in that deep breath. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love that those strategies. I think that's very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. I think too, um, I've had a, a, a few clients over the years that have had some pretty severe asthma, you know, asthma being, um, of course, um, a disease that, that attacks the lungs directly. And so, um, um, We've had to be very, very careful about the lengths of phrases, um, you know, just, you know, finding strategies, too. It's like, OK, they're not going to be able to sing a four measure phrase. OK, fine. <laughs> you know, let's let's do it, you know, two measure phrase or one and a half measure phrase. And and then, you know, then the next phrase can be three measures, whatever, being able to, you know, give them practical tools too. like, OK, find where in the text it makes the most sense to, to breathe, you know, and just getting down into the practical things of, okay, this is what your body can do. And here's, here are real, real life strategies for this song. This is how you can do it. Hmm. Do you have any advice, um, for teachers? Like, so for teachers that have students with asthma, maybe they, maybe they need inhalers or medication. Um, what's your experience with that? What kind of strategies do you have or what, what should we be aware of um, if like an asthma medication is required, like I know, I, I, I know I had a student in my studio that like on, they would bring their asthma inhaler and would take the asthma inhaler right before they would sing. And I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, I don't know if, is that what you need to do or uh -huh. what, what are your recommendations? Right. So in, with asthma in particular, um, the, the um, bronchial tubes in the lungs 
get inflamed. So if you think about the anatomy, we breathe in through the nose or the mouth or whatever, and it goes um, down through our trachea. And then the, um, the lungs kind of, they, they branch off <laughs> um, into, you know, multiple little branches and those branches get inflamed. And when they get inflamed, they, um, they swell and the openings get smaller. And so the inhalers, the way that they work um, for a lot of, there are different, there are different types. Um, some of them are steroidal and steroids are anti-inflammatory. And so, um, and there's, there's other types of medications um, that uh, the goal is to get that inflammation to go down and to open those, those um, uh, passages. The, there's, of course, um, side effects with steroids that can be really funky for the voice. And um, long-term use, it depends on the steroid, but long-term use can have some, some negative side effects for the voice. So that's something to be aware of. But a lot of the nebulizers, they have the medication in them. And the way the, that nebulizers work is that um, um, they, they break up the droplets of medication into super tiny little particles that can go past all the structures in your larynx and down into the lungs. Most of the time, your larynx doesn't want anything to go past it <laughs> to get into the lungs. That's bad, bad, no, no. Um, you know, we've talked about the epiglottis before, how it, you know, tries to keep everything out. You know, it saves your life. But we, <laughs> we, need, um, we need some of those um, inhaled medications to do that. And so it breaks it up into super, super tiny little particles that can fly past all of your apparatus and get down into the lungs and interact with tissue directly. So the nebulizers contain the medication, but also um, lots of them will contain an accelerant, which basically helps to shoot it out of the nebulizer faster and farther. And those accelerants can be incredibly irritating to the throat tissue. And so lots of people who use nebulizers regularly will have scratchy throats, sore throats, um, uh, uh, some of them I think can result in or can encourage thrush, which is a yeast infection in the throat. Um, and, um, and so I have always encouraged people who use nebulizers regularly to drink water right after, um, because it's not going to get it off of your vocal folds. Um, and, and unfortunately the accelerants can be, you know, um, irritating to the vocal fold tissue as well. We can't really do much about that, unfortunately, but we can kind of wash it out of the pharynx and so get it off of the, the, the back of the throat, get it, you know, off of um, all of that stuff because that can be very, very irritating as well. Um, and so, um, you know, drinking water right afterwards, um, steaming can help it because um, that can kind of help to wash the stuff off of the the vocal folds, but it's, it's, um, it's not a super great, um, uh, way to get it off the vocal fold tissue. Um, but you know, if you need the nebulizer, you need the nebulizer. We just got to figure out how to, you know, mitigate as much as we can the side effects. And so if 
if their if their particular medication is, is is really really irritating to the point that it's it's um, becoming more difficult to sing, that's a that's a time to talk to the doctor to see if there may be another type of medication that is less irritating. Sometimes there are options, and sometimes we're n- there aren't. And health is way more important than their singing voice. <laughs> um, and so, um, but being being aware of the side effects. Um, of those nebulizers can um, be really, really helpful. Uh, that is really helpful information. Cause, uh, and again, a reminder that for those of us who are not medical professionals, it's not our place to, to, to make um, uh, uh, diagnoses or, or to instruct people to change medication in any way, but it's definitely a conversation. And I always, I always, if I'm working with my, my kiddos and, and asthma is a thing, I always try to talk to families about, you know, when, when are they, when do they struggle? Like, you know, mm-hmm. just, and I will tell them, you know, sometimes the medication can irritate the throat, but you know, like we'll work around it and, you know, we'll just keep the lines of communication open. That's very helpful. Thank you for all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and have, a, have something to go to that's not singing for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They may, they may have a shorter limit of how much they can sing before their voice, you know, just doesn't want to do it anymore. So listen really carefully if they start to get, um, um, if their voice starts to get more hoarse, stop, you know, stop the singing and go do some theory or some solfege training or whatever, you know, something that is not the voice. Um, uh, if you've, you know, younger kids may not always know exactly the words to say, but, you know, ask them a lot of questions. What does your voice feel like right now? You know, um, do you still want to sing? You know, do we need to stop? Um, you know, and being able to, to do that as well. Um, this is, it's harder when you have a choir full of kids because um, the, the kids, you can't always hear their individual voices. And um, peer pressure is a real thing, even when it's positive, <laughs> you know, that um, kids will want to, you know, be the best, you know, and they, they don't want to show any weakness, you know, and, and so that, that's, that's really, really hard. But still in a choir telling, telling them, you know, to, to monitor their own, um, their own singing, their own vocal health. Nobody gets any gold stars for pushing through, um, you know, the, those gold stars don't exist, unfortunately. Um, you know, but being able to, to try to give them as much agency as they can to, to take care of their own vocal health. Nice. Nice. I love it. Um, Heather, thank you very much for these, these helpful segments. There's, they're just so full of teacher takeaways and, and very important reminders that I know a lot of teachers are like aware of, but, you know, getting that reminder and just being more present is always helpful. As always, you are coming back to uh, talk about more exciting, fun anatomy and science and all things cool about singing uh, topics. But before I let you go, how can people find and follow you? Sure. My website is drheathernelson.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, I'm at Dr. Heather Nelson. I'm going to actually be delving into this topic um, at the end of September with um, Pedagogy Happy Hour. I'm going to be talking with a friend of mine, Dr. Leanne Wade, who is a music therapist in California. She did her research on um, singing with clients who have COPD. And so we're going to talk specifically about strategies for working with clients who have chronic um, breathing issues. 
and so um, she she knows a lot more about this than I do, <laughs> um, you know, because she she really worked hard on this. And so if you're interested, you can uh, visit my website and register for Pedagogy Happy Hour in September and get a little bit more information on working with clients who have chronic breathing problems. Now, can you I love how, what you call these, but can you tell people like your pedagogy happy hours? What happens in a pedagogy happy hour? Well, what happens in a pedagogy happy hour stays in the pedagogy ah, happy hour. Ah, <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, so now I, now these I are, have FOMO and I need to be part of the, 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 the These are monthly webinars um, that I do. They're on the 28th of every month. And so it's, it's a different day of the week, you know, depending on the month. But um, the 28th of every month at 7 p.m. Central Time. Oh, so good. So you can grab a beverage of choice. You can come and eat your dinner. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> and we meet on Zoom for about an hour and um, talk about the t- topic. You get to ask questions. So it's a good love time. It. Love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to put all that information on the show notes and on our podcast page. Uh, Heather, thank you so much. And we will see you again on the podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> A very special thank you to all my incredible guests, Shannon Coates, Phyllis Horridge, Karen Michaels, and Heather Nelson. If you would like to find and follow these incredible people, please check the show notes or visit our website, thefullvoice.com. Full Voice Music is dedicated in creating incredible, fun, educational resources for young singers. If you haven't checked out our materials, you can do so by going to our free resources page. We have fun warm-ups, songs, games, all sorts of activities, and samples from all of our resources right there on that page. I would love for you to go check that out, print something up, and have fun in your teaching studio today. As always, my friend, my colleague, I am wishing you inspired teaching, happy Thanksgiving to all of my American friends, and happy singing. Made by Canoe Music Productions. Yes, my darling. You made those? Yeah, we invented it. Oh, okay. Um, I, I'll eat those later, sweetie. Okay. But thank you. Is everything okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my son. He made Mackey's and uh, macaroni and cheese, and he wanted mm-hmm. to show me that he made macaroni and cheese. <laughs> That's so sweet. Um, uh, okay, I've marked that. So, okay. um, Sean, please edit out the macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Still my favorite food, though. I love macaroni and cheese. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's such a comfort food, right? It is. It's the best. <laughs> I, I, yeah, if I'm having a bad day, that's usually my go-to because it's just, there's just something about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I always have an emergency frozen pizza and an emergency <gasps> box of mac and cheese. Yes. Okay. Heather Nelson would fit beautifully into this family because that would be our go-to emergency food at all times.